We'd like to thank our friends at People's Mortgage for sponsoring Arizona Varsity and Arizona's athletes. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance your current mortgage, the experienced team at People's Mortgage is ready to help you. People's Mortgage has been a local lender for over 20 years, and their team has extensive knowledge of the local economy. They'll find the loan that best fits your needs. Rate your low, so connect with them today at 602-714-2555. That's 602-714-2555. Find out why they say, at People's Mortgage, it's all about the people. AZBK0904164 NMLS6274 Equal Housing Lender. Welcome on into the Sandy Charles Show podcast on the Arizona Varsity Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sandy Charles, and happy Thanksgiving. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas as we are, what, how many days away? Not really sure, but we're so close to Christmas. Um, I hope everyone's staying safe and well out there, especially right now. I know there's spikes in COVID, so please mask up, social distance, take your vitamin D, take your vitamin C, take your zinc, zinc ionifer, get that immune system up, eat all the veggies that you can, really support your body the best it can right now, especially in flu season as well. Um, this year has been tough, but we've gotten through it. It's almost 2021. And I know that doesn't mean the pandemic just goes away in 2021. It means that we readjust and we pivot. And I know me mentally, I'm better now than I was at the beginning of all of this. So as we pivot and we focus on all the good that we are supported and that we are loved and we still get a chance to do what we love, whether that's from home or if you were able to go into an office and seclude yourself, we're still able to get to do that. And we got a football season, you guys, a high school football season, NFL is going on. We got a major league baseball season. We got NBA. And just so thankful for all of that, the bubbles and the people that quarantined and, and the, Every day, the heroes that are risking their lives at hospitals, day in and day out, and maybe not hospitals, maybe urgent care, just thank you. So this is a long rant just to say thank you and that so blessed to be where we are even through this tough time. And I envision us all, I know we can't because of social distancing, but arm in arm, just like a chain, just standing together. Um, so just thank you. Thank you for all your love and support during this, this year. I would not be here without any of you guys. And you know what? That's a great segue into this next guest. I would not be where I am. I would not be who I am without my next guest. And as I say that, I get a little teary-eyed because my time in LA was so precious to me. And the people that I, gosh, you guys, I got, I'm so lucky to know and to call them friends. And even in tough times like this, there's moments where I just keep pushing because I know that they're in my corner and I, I see them, <laughs> it's silly to say, but I see them kind of clapping for me and cheering me on, even though we can't be in the same state. And um, it's all social media that we're able to see each other. But guys, I am so lucky and I, I, I don't, I know that and I'm so thankful for that. Um, okay, so my next guest is someone that I just look up to in every faucet of life how he does business, how he works, how he conducts himself, how he loves, how he's a father and a husband and a grandfather. And I just look up to that so much. And he was my boss at Fox Sports when I worked at Fox Sports my last year in LA. He is Jack Simmons, the former senior vice president of production for Fox Sports. And I was lucky enough, you guys, his last year, I think it was his last year, maybe last year and a half, I, I was able to work with him directly every Sunday, be in the same booth with him and, and just see how he works and, and ticks and it's incredible. So he's going to go into his story, who he is, broadcast hall of fame, worked so many amazing events, has a fabulous family that is so loving and just so positive and, and incredible. So I know I am bantering right now, but I could go on and on and on and on <laughs> about this um, gentleman. 
my friend, colleague, coworker, a boss that took a chance on me and I am forever grateful. So Jack Simmons, let's do a deep dive into who he is and what he's all about. Jack, um, no video. It's been, it's actually been harder for me. Yeah. Cause it's just talking and it's <laughs> so different. Um, how is Wendy? She's great. She sends her best. She just ran upstairs to get on the uh, exercise bike. Oh my gosh. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I know you're busy, so I don't want to keep, keep you too long. Just want to pick your brain, get to know you and your story, and then just kind of all journalists and aspiring, whether they want to work in TV in any aspect, kind of they can learn from you. So thank you. Just thank you. Um, and we will, I'll start kind of just get to know you and your backstory first. That'll be, that'll be up first. Sure. Okay, cool. Um, so three, I have this, this, this. Okay. Three, two, one. I'll do an intro after we record. Cause I have some other stuff that I say and do. So now it'll just be, so Jack, we're just going to get to know you. Just start off with your history, your background. Who is Jack? Where did he grow up? Where does your story begin? Well, I was very young when I was born. <laughs> uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, raised in uh, Valley Stream, New York, and Breezy Point, New York. Breezy Point's a little uh, beach community in the Rockaway Peninsula of New York City and Queens. And that, that's really what became home for us and our family. Um, I went, went to college for a year. It wasn't my best experience. And after that, I was thinking of joining the military. And ended up going over, taking a tour of NBC one day with a buddy of mine. We were in New York. Um, going over, Tom Dratcher went to the Marine Corps recruiting station that day. And we went over to NBC and took the tour. This was on a Monday, like in January. And my buddy said to me, you should get a job here. I said, yeah, that's not a bad idea. On Tuesday, I called NBC. Wednesday, they brought me in. I had an interview with the woman who ran the mailroom. They called me back on Friday. I started the next Monday, February 2nd, 1970. Oh my God. I stayed there for the next 24 and a half years. Holy so, cow. So it just came, you know, out of nowhere, got a job, just a young guy, not really, you know, too motivated, found a job, got the job, liked the job. What I found out when I got there was that I absolutely loved working and I loved going to NBC every day. I loved taking the subway to Rockefeller Center. Yeah. Rockefeller Center became like the center of the universe for me. I got to know every square inch of the place. There's like four layers of sub-basements underneath the buildings there that people don't even realize exist. You know, things like that. I got the tour of the see all of Radio City and just wonderful stuff like that that for a guy like me, I really enjoyed. And in fact, on Saturday mornings, I would make extra money going down to deliver mail to our transmitter at the Empire State Building, one floor below the observation deck. So I get down, I take a look out the windows and all. It's just... It was just, it just fit me very well when I realized at that point that the formal education wasn't me at that point. I did go back to school and went nights, but um, at that point it wasn't me and I just enjoyed getting that work. When, so what, it, NBC, when you started, because you ended your career and we will get to that at the top. So where did you start first at NBC? Was it in the mailroom? NBC in the mailroom. And then after about six months, I was there maybe a week or two. And they promoted me to become the executive messenger. This was a big deal to me at the time. I was 19 yeah. years old, remember? And I was this nice little guy who wore a suit and tie in every day. And I was polite and friendly to people. And they made me executive messenger. What that meant was there was no more mail cart for me. I had a, a folder I would carry. And I spent my time up on the executive floor with the president of NBC, the chairman of the board, all their assistants, all the executive vice presidents, handling their mail, running errands, just taking care of whatever they needed. And I really got to make some content. I got, to, I got to meet people and got to learn from every one of those top, top executives of the time. In those days, they were like giants mm. to me, you know, to be able to, to spend time in, in, in that area. So it was really beneficial. So after about six months, I got promoted into the purchasing department as the assistant buyer. And I worked there for a little more than a year, I guess. And then accounts payable came calling and I got promoted into the accounts payable department. And then um, I was there about a year and I turned... I was like 23 years old. They made me the supervisor of accounts payable. So I had a staff of, I don't know, about 20 people or so working for me. And I thought I was on a pretty, you know, fast, fast track. I was doing well. I'm, I'm sorry, when I was 28 years old, 
I was still the supervisor of accounts payable and I was wondering, okay, now what went wrong? <laughs> Something better straighten out. So five years accounts payable. And so then 28, did you make a pivot still clearly? What happened? I got, you know, opportunities come along. When I was in accounts payable, I got to meet a group of people known as the unit managers. They were the people, they worked in sports and news and entertainment who organized the events and managed the shows and managed the mm. budgets of the shows and all the logistics of the shows and deal with the crews. And boy, that was fascinating. I thought that'd be something I'd really be interested in. So I kept trying to get a job as a unit manager. I had to apply every time there was an opening and nothing much happened. And then I applied for one job was to be the manager of finance. Actually, I got to segue into this during the time Here's how, here's how opportunities come. I was working one day and I would handle all the rush payments, all the rush payments for the sales department, things like that. One of the women from sales was up with chatting and I said, well, what are you doing? He goes, well, on the weekends, I'm working as a typist. I type highlights on NFL 78, the oh. pregame show. And I said, boy, I would love to do something like that. That sounds great, man. It's a part-time thing and all. Well, half an hour later, she called me up and says, there's a fellow named Rex Lardner. He's actually the great nephew of Ring Lardner, the famous old sports author. And he was one of the associate producer of the show and he wanted to see me. So I went over to his office in the sports department and he said they have an, op an, an opening and you know, one of the women who keeps score of the games was having a gallbladder operation and they needed somebody to fill in for a couple of weeks. Would I be interested? So I had no question about it. I jumped on that, I paid $60 a day. I went over and I became a scorer, keeping track of all the scores of all the games. And the woman never came back. She moved on after that. I don't know what became of her. I never met her actually. And the next year, in 1979, I did a decent job. So they made me Brian Gumbel's talent assistant on the show. And I would work for him and get all the updates and scores and how it's keep him posted on everything on air. Like he would be on the air doing a halftime show. And I had all these cards I would write all the info on. Mm -hmm. I'd be kneeling right next to that desk on a set, handing cards up to him as he was talking. If I had changes on things. So it was a great job and exciting, mm -hmm. a real taste of television, you know, working in the studio. So because of that job, a position opened up at WNBC for a business manager at a local station. I applied for it, went down for an interview. And the, the man, Carl Bell was his name, a wonderful guy. He was impressed more that I worked with Brian Gumbel than anything else. So he said to me, well, I have to give this job to somebody internally, but I'll keep you in mind. Well, a few months later, he had moved on to be head up the unit managers on mm -hmm. the 1980 Olympic unit. He called me up and said, listen, I'm going to have an opportunity for a financial analyst up here in the Olympic unit. If you were to apply, you'd be a very strong candidate. Well, I had been rejected enough to know what that meant. So I applied that day. <laughs> got the job, left accounts payable, and got in with the, with the Olympic unit as a financial analyst. And when that broke up, because we didn't get to go to Moscow, Jimmy Carter, you know, the Russians invaded Afghanistan, and that all fell apart. Uh, they, they had a show there that had an anthology program like Wide World of Sports called NBC Sports World. Well, they were looking for a unit manager to handle their finances. and they came to the Olympic unit, plucked me out of that, and brought me down there, and my career then got started. That's when my career really started. Jack, there's so much that it's just incredible, especially one, starting in the mailroom, and then how just you being you. I know you said polite and friendly were the exact words that you used, polite and friendly, and that that's is true. literally that's you just from the moment I've ever met you and, and being the big dog at Fox Sports, you've just you've always treated everyone as equal and polite and friendly. That's literally you summed up. Um, so is that when you knew, when did it hit you exactly what you want to do in TV? Was it that moment when they plucked you out? When I know when I, when I went to work on NFL 70, when I was on NFL 78 and 79 on Sundays in the studio, I mm. thought that was just the coolest thing. We had a bunch of young people there all working together and it was exciting. You know, it's on the air, it's live television. I had never been exposed to anything like that in my life. So then how did you get to Fox Sports? Well, I'll take it through the rest of the trajectory then, right? Do we have yeah. a time limit here? Because I can go forever. No, um, no time limit. Okay. So I became the unit manager on, on NBC Sports World. And then I got promoted to production manager and branched out and, you know, did all sorts of events. If we want to get into that, that's fine. But then I moved on to the operations department, on-air operations, like what we did down in TOC. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, one of the operations managers. And also I was the manager of advanced planning. I would book all the mobile units that NBC Sports needed and hire freelance crews and all those sort of things. Mm -hmm. Well, GE bought NBC back in, I don't know, late 80s. And they started what I call the GE Reign of Terror. 
they were laying people off left and right. And there was people were retiring left and right. You know, there was really, they were downsizing the company as their right to do, but people were disappearing. And up till then, NBC had been this wonderful, friendly, big family place, you know? So at any rate, that was happening. And out in Burbank, they were, they were downsizing the, the Burbank operation. We had four people in Burbank in operations. And they downsized that and an opportunity came up for me to go out there to be a one-man sports division in Burbank mm. back in 1990. Because I was a little well-rounded. I'd been a unit manager. I had done a little field producing. I was the operations manager. I did the advanced planning, you know, stuff that most people had done budgeting. I worked while in the budget department. So most people hadn't exposed themselves as much as I had. And the reason I did that for anybody who's listening is because I kind of pushed my way into all those opportunities. Mm. I would knock on doors and say, I can do that. I'll try that. You know, anything extra that came along, I would just try to do. But this opportunity came up, and they sent me out to Burbank, and it was the best job ever. I was, a, like I say, the one-man band out there, and I rented out mobile units. I did on-air operations. I became a field producer. I'd be down. I would be down at the Raiders camp every Wednesday, out doing, you know, getting sound bites for the pregame show. I'd be at Laker games Friday nights, Sunday nights, collecting sound bites, and, and in fact, I would give my extra sounds. I would after I sent my stuff on, uh, go off to New York. I would give it to Fred Rogan's staff back at KNBC so they could use it on a local broadcast if they wanted it, you know, made friends with them. So it was a great, great job. But because due to that, I got, I got pretty well-rounded. I had been exposed to just about everything at this point. And then when Fox Sports was forming in 94, I was over in Japan at the Women's World uh, Figure Skating Championships. Great event. I got home and there was a phone call made for me from a fella up at Fox Sports. Would I like to come over and speak with them? I said, oh, I don't know. Maybe I will. And I went over there and I met, you know, met with a couple of the people. And then I had an interview with David Hill. Hmm. Once I interviewed with David Hill, that was it. We just clicked. We hit it off. He offered me a job right on the spot. Said, I'll get back to me in the next day. You know, they'll make a call. Offered me the job. I jumped at the chance to take the job. Left NBC after 24 years. It was a, I shouldn't say I jumped at the chance. It was a big gut-wrenching decision yeah. for me to leave. That's all I had ever known. But David Hill was just that dynamic. And I saw such leadership in him. I said, man, this is going to be an opportunity I may not get again. And I'll tell you the truth, too, being a one-man band out there under the GE reign, I was a little insecure. I never knew if my time was going to come to an end and not. And then what would happen? I'd be stuck in L.A. with no job, no connections. So when Fox Sports came along, it became a great opportunity. And, you know, things just kind of snowballed from there, to be honest. What was your first, what was the position that you first did at Fox Sports? It was called director of production and okay. very similar to what I did for the next 22 years. I just kind of expanded that as, as time went on. So I went from director of production to a vice president of production to senior vice president of production. You said something in there where you, you tried to do anything. So if they called, hey, you want to do this? Yes. Even if you didn't have experience, no. you would say yes to it, correct? No question. So when, how I first got, when I first went over to Sports World, the Olympics came along. I went there like the end of May or June, and July was the Olympics. We didn't go to Moscow, but we had like some engineers over there and a reporter, and they would be sending back these reports that we would edit and put into Sports World. Hmm. Well, I had never been in editor room in my life. I was brought there like three weeks before to do finance. That was going to be my job, just keeping the books for the show and all. And my hand went straight up saying, hey, I can help, I can help. And I spent the entire Olympics in the edit room working around the clock, getting things organized, making sure tapes, tapes were right, scheduling the crews, then making everything work in the, in the edit room as well, too. I mean, we were sleeping on the floors and the hallways at that time. It was great. And I loved every second of it. That's what was exciting. That is awesome. So anyone out there, like you said, listening, just commit, say yes, you'll figure it out. You, you can do it. Yeah. Have a little confidence in yourself. <laughs> yes, I There's love nothing it. Nothing wrong with self-confidence. No, there's really not. I know that that's a lot of like for me being on air, that's the number one thing. People are always like, Sandy, your confidence, your confidence, your confidence. Okay, I'll work on that. I got it. <laughs> yeah, you, you exude confidence, believe me. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Oh my gosh, I, I have stories about when we met. Um, but I, before I get there, so far, you're, I'm sure there are so many events that are your favorite and you love because you love what you do. Do you have one that sticks out particularly that you're like, yes, that event I worked in, it was awesome. Oh God, there's so many. Can you list, list everything that you've done? Let's hear it. <laughs> well, 
back in the sports world days and in the NBC days, my bigger, I really, I really made my bones, as they say, working on boxing. Ah, uh, yes. And I, we'd be down Atlantic City, I don't know, 20, 25 times a year, we'd be out doing fights, constantly back and forth. And it was an easy shot. See, I was the only guy around who was married to little kids. So just thought doing the boxing matches in Atlantic City was great for me. I could drive down, for the, you know, two nights and drive back home, not, not doing too much far travel. And I also jumped on doing things like the Mets games and the, the Jets games, mm. things like that, because they were local up at Shea Stadium. I would do a lot of the local things. So I enjoyed all those events so much in the boxing. I ended up working three uh, heavyweight championship fights with Larry Holmes. Now, when I did the boxing, I'd be the production manager. I'd organize it. But also, once again, old branching out, on air there, I'd be the ringside coordinator. So sitting at ringside for the fights was always Marv Albert, the fight doctor, Ferdy Pacheco, and me, the three of us. And I'd be like stage manager. But the key thing was I'd be right there with those guys at the end of the fights. I'd be the guy that climbs into the ring to grab the guy for the interview, all those yeah. years. I was the guy who cued the referee to start the fights, cued the anthem, all that kind of stuff. It was just, just kind of fun to do. So I loved doing the boxing matches. And then in, let's see, 1984 it was, I guess. I got a big shot to go lead the unit manager team at the World Series in Detroit. Mm. And we had a production manager we worked for. He was traveling to San Diego and Detroit. We had some Burbank guys in San Diego, and me with the team in Detroit. San Diego, to say, was a mess. I mean, they had just had a playoff game. They had to start the World Series like two days later, and it was a really tough setup, so things weren't so smooth out there. And the word came that from uh, this little crusty old production manager that we were working for, he said, I trust when we get to Detroit, everything's going to be perfect. Like, uh-oh. So the challenge was out that I better make this thing work in Detroit and, you know, get everything set up. So, which I did, it was, things were crazy. And then I understand when the guys are flying from San Diego, they had chartered flights. As a unit manager, you know the logistics, you want to make things comfortable. And I started thinking, rather than have all these guys at the airport and scatter, I got down, I got, I don't even know how it did. I got in touch with the airport authority and the city and everything else. And I arranged where we were able to, when their charter flight landed on the tarmac in Detroit, I was waiting out there with the group from Hertz with the rental cars and production staff with vans, for the um, crew to ride in and load their luggage in with limos for the talent to ride in, all lined up for them. And coming off the plane was the legendary director, Harry Coyle, who like invented directing the baseball. He's an old military guy. So I was standing at the bottom of the steps, like saluting him as he came down. I'll never forget it. But what I really understand was Mike Weissman, who was the executive producer at the time, and said on the plane, don't worry about a thing. Jack Simmons is in Detroit. Everything's going to be fine. So that was really pretty cool to hear that from him. So that was just a great event. I'll, I'll never forget to this day. And then, you know, I've worked, I've worked Super Bowls. I've worked the heavyweight championships. I've worked a couple of World Series. You know, all the different things they run together. And at Fox, my role, as you know, became different. Mm -hmm. I was in so much more of a supervisory position in Fox with so much more responsibility and that I was responsible for every nickel that crossed the threshold of Fox. Mm -hmm. I was responsible for making sure the show transitions went as they did. I was responsible for making sure that the transmission of the shows went on the air as it should. Mm -hmm. So we had all those responsibilities. So that meant that I really needed to be at home base, you know, down in TOC at Fox at the Transmission Operations Center, managing my areas from there. So Super Bowls would come, and I would go to the Super Bowl like Sunday before, and I'd stay till Friday. And on Friday, when all the party people were coming in the town, I'd be getting on a plane heading back to L.A to run my show from there. That became kind of fashionable as people, you know, worked and get a little jaded with stuff over the years. A couple of other executives started doing the same thing rather than having to go through the hassle of traveling home after the Super Bowl. Had I been at the Super Bowl, I would have been very happy to be there. But I was also very happy to have my own operation. Mm -hmm. you know, back in it wasn't as glamorous, but it was just as meaningful and just as fulfilling. It really was to be there doing that. Those are some of my favorite memories being down in that booth with you. That, no for question. me, that was glamour. <laughs> it, it, to me, too. It's always been glamour. It's always been exciting for me. I it, love it. It's always been about having that team. I love having my team around me, my people with me. You know, we all just, we have a good time. We get our work done, and we're pretty flawless doing it. So everybody appreciates what you've done at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But it's really, it's great. When did you transition then into the booth stuff, like when I met you? So that would, how long were you down um, having to be at home base and do that. Day one at Fox. Day one at Fox. The, the first week we went on the air, was it September 4th, 1994? I was at myself positioned. I was sitting in the pregame studio. 
And, you know, just watching the games with the, the other bosses around. And then I realized the whole on-air operations area, the TOC, these are guys, they had worked for Fox. The managers just worked for Fox. They hadn't done anything like this. You know, with NBC and CBS, you did this where you have these multiple football games. You know, as you know, we get up to eight football games. Could be taking place simultaneously with games <laughs> ending and games starting. So there's a lot of coordination to go on. Well, they had never seen that. Up to that point, Fox had just done prime time, like five nights, four or five nights a week. They didn't have anything like this. So after week one, these people were sitting over there trying to manage this. And, you know, it was bedlam. Everything was good. It was just crazy. And no fault of theirs. You know, they, you know, I, I spoke about it during the summer. I trained people during the summer. But it wasn't the same as actually being there. So week two, I went over there. And I sat in there. And believe me, it wasn't perfect. We had a few years of, you know, a lot of rocky roads trying to get things squared away. So it's just like a snowball tour. It became, you know what? This is where I belong. This is where they, they need me. They don't need me hanging around a truck saying, boy, that was a good shot. You know, it's a lot of people need that. That's awesome. That, so for those that don't maybe know, because I, I mean, if I didn't work with you and at Fox Sports, then I never would have known. So where we are in that booth is, is underneath all the studios, right? Because I remember going up with you to on Sunday NFL to um, kind of meet some of the right. talent. Yeah, second floor. Okay, so we're underneath, and you're kind of con- you're control not kind of controlling. You're controlling everything from underneath the studios on top. Who, um, what are all that like? Michael Strahan, Howie, all of them. That's your day in and day out on Sundays. Kind of go through what a Sunday was like for you. Okay, Sunday morning comes. I'd be over there. Once your things got settled, your days, I'd be at 6 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. But I'd get over about 7 a.m. The first thing I would do towards the end is I would meet the uh, coordinating producer, Jacob Ullman. We'd have breakfast together. And we'd talk about the day, what production wanted. See, what I would do with my job is react off what the executive producers wanted to do. They would control everything editorially. I would make sure that operationally what they wanted to do, we were able to do. That the right buttons got pushed at the right time. And things you know went as they should. So we'd be talking about what we're expecting, you know, what games could run long on and on. Not that we ever knew, but it was just nice. Then I could downstairs, of course. I first I what I would also do every Sunday morning, I would walk through the studio, I'd say hello to all the guys, to Michael, Terry, Howie, the whole gang of them, you know, crack a joke or two. I'd walk through the tape area, I'd walk through the highlights area, I'd walk through audio, I'd go to the camera guys, I'd shake hands with everybody, I'd pat them on the back, I'd try to get them pumped up, let's get going, you know. Just get some enthusiasm going. You know, people come in early in the morning, they're tired, they're grumpy. And I did that never sat too well with me, tired and grumpy. So by walking, I try to get that going. Then by eight o'clock, I'd be downstairs doing my own meeting with my with my team, where I'd run down the day with everybody. Here's what we're expecting to happen today. Here's what we need to do commercially. Here's what we need to do with promos. Here's what we, we may have affiliate issues that we're gonna have to start preparing things for them, like some. Uh, cities get pulled out of a game for the start of their second game. And sometimes you may be watching a game and it's a blowout. So we have the right to take certain cities away from that game. So I would go through the whole team and plan all of that stuff, let them know what was coming on. Because you have to realize that my team down there, for the most part, is people working with us one day a week. They're not full-time staffers. They're not as familiar with everything as I've been. You know, I've been in meetings on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, you know, I've had a lot of meetings during the week. I've organized a lot of paperwork. I've given people a lot of information. So I know. Everybody coming in doesn't know that. And you see, I'm starting to talk a little faster now. That's what would happen when I'd get in there because you're talking all the time. And talking, talking. So I would try to get everybody up to speed as best I could. And then I'd hit my room with you and the others. And I'd start talking to the remotes a bit. Now, if you remember, I had that panel. I could speak to, I don't know, 60, 80 people simultaneously if I wanted to. And I had to listen to all those people coming in, too. So I'd be on there, you know, hitting the buttons, playing, listening, to, listening all day long. As you know, I'd be on my feet most of the day. I wouldn't even, wouldn't even sit down because there's so much activity happened. So that would be the day. And then the games come on. And once the games are on, you're pretty much reacting to what you see and planning the contingencies for what might go wrong. That was the whole day. Okay, what could go wrong in this game? What could happen if they run long? What's going to happen if the signal's breaking up from there? Where are we going to move their audience? How's this going to work? All those type of things. So it was pretty exciting work. Yeah, it it was my favorite uh, time when I look back in LA was just Sundays with you, Dustin. Um, it was just awesome, Chris. Like it just 
was so much fun. I do have a uh, confession that I would leave every Sunday. Cause like you mentioned, sometimes there's eight games on and I would, you know, like I, I just, sometimes my eyes would crisscross, but I would leave every Sunday with a fever because. Jeez, I'm because sorry. No, I, I loved it so much and I'm such a perfectionist and I never wanted to let anyone down. I didn't want to let you down or anyone. And a lot of times I, Ashley Sandoval, who I love, um, I never wanted, so I would leave because I was like, gosh, I hope this is perfect and I hope that it, everyone can read it. There was one time we would have to scan it and then email it out to all of you guys. And I remember getting home and I was like, gosh, I still haven't had a ping from my email that it has gone through and it's midnight and I like jump out of bed. I'm like, it still hasn't gone through. I race back to Fox sports. I make, I rescan everything. Cause I was like, why didn't this go through? And I, I'm such a perfectionist that every little thing I was like, no, this is not happening. <laughs> so, cause I, I don't ever want to let you down. Like you, the way you treat people is so, I mean, Jack, you just are so loving. And like you said, you would go and talk to everyone, the cameraman, everyone, and just like, let's go, let's pump up. Um, one of the best things of Sunday was not only the donuts and the bagels and everything, but when you walk that corner around, you would get to see Brendan. And of those that don't know, Brendan is Jack's son, who you also get to work with. That was always a highlight of my Sunday. What's it like working with Brendan? Well, before I get to that, let me say, I remember that incident that time and that didn't go out. And I was so proud of you that you, you had the gumption to go back and take care of that business and get that done. You know, that, that really meant the world to me. And I have to say this too, you did such an outstanding job. And some people may think that job you were doing was kind of tedious, just to educate. It was kind of an antiquated system where we have one person who has to write down the, the time code, the hit time of every commercial that is in every game, every client enhancement that is in every game, all different sales elements and things like that, when the game start, when they end, when halftime comes, and believe it or not, that's about the most valuable job in the place. That's where the sales department would use for their billing of all of all the uh, all the different ad agencies to build them for the commercials. Here's in your commercial ad, send us our money. That's what the research department would use for their ratings. Here's what time they got off the air. Break the rating at that time. So you may not know, but that was one heck of an important job you were doing there. And they probably should have paid you more. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew how important it was to you. And so to me, it was so like, I'm so, so important. So I was like, I am doing this. The thing with that email that day, I would never leave if the emails didn't go through and it showed it through on the laptop or on the computer, but not on my phone. And I was like, oh, it's just bad service in here. So I'll go home. And by the time I get home, it'll go through. No, no, it never went through. <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. you. Saved the day. So back to Brendan. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, my son Brendan and I worked together for over 20 years, which was, as a, as a father, there's nothing more exciting than that, to be able to work with your children and have them be contributing, not have them be a couple of losers, you know, big losers sitting there, being people who really are pros and make a contribution. Brendan started, he came in, he was still in school, and he studied broadcasting, and uh, he was in school, and he came in like our second year, I guess. And his first job was getting coffee for Terry Bradshaw. It was Terry's assistant on a set. Then he became Terry's highlight assistant, just like I did for Brian Gumbel. Mm -hmm. Brendan did the same job for Terry Bradshaw. So I was happy even then. From there, he moved up. I guess he moved into highlights for a bit as one of the highlights typists. And then went down into TOC, where he was a videotape operator. And at like 23 years old or something, they made him. He was a technical director, probably younger than that even. I was at 23 or 24. He was made engineer in charge down there. He's still the engineer in charge today. And he's engineer in charge of, you know, the network operations for all NFL, the NASCAR, for the big events on baseball. And, you know, mainly all the big stuff we do, plus prime time during the week and things like that. So Brendan's doing just great. But working with him was such an honor for me. And also my daughter, Katie, worked. Yes. Katie had moved off to New York and got a job. There's a, Katie, this is a story for people to do another thing of, Open your mouth and have personality. Katie was working. She had finished school and was working at Seas Chocolates. She wasn't very happy there. She was managing a store in a mall here. It wasn't for her. So she quit. And summertime came, and MTV was coming out to L.A. They were coming out to do um, the show The Beach House. So I called my buddy over there and asked if they needed any runners. And they did. So she went down and took a job as a runner. Well, while she was there, she met one of the PAs, a fellow named Sal, nice guy. 
And a week later or so, two weeks later, I was going to New York for NFL meetings. And she said, do you mind if I uh, come to New York with you? She had never done this before. I want to go visit my friends from MTV. I said, oh, sure, no problem. She came in, and we had a nice NFL dinner. She got to go to her in a whole bit. It was all nice. I didn't notice, but she had already set up an interview with MTV. She spoke to them. They hired her. Her and Sal were already dating. She uh, came back home and said, guess what? I'm moving to New York. And two weeks later, she moved off to New York. Look what happened. Her and Sal got married. They now have two kids, and they live out here in Redondo Beach. So it all worked out great, but you never know. So at any rate, Katie did that for a few years, got married, had her babies. It was wonderful. And then came back to L.A. And when she came back, she came in with me and did the same job you did, only just for NASCAR. And she would do college football on Saturday nights. And she also then scheduled the associate directors for me. She came in on Mondays and did that. And it was just the best having Katie with me as well, have both kids come in and both contribute. So, you know, it, it's, it was an amazing experience for me. You know, Fox Sports for us became like the family business. My wife, Wendy, to this day, she has to make Michael Strahan his chocolates every year and bring them in for him. And now Kurt's in on it and Jason on it. You know, everybody loves that. So everybody loves Wendy, believe me. Yeah. Jack, your family, Wendy, Katie, Brendan, all of them. I mean, I, they, you guys took me in as kind of one of your own, especially during the holidays. Uh, you still that are, as far as I'm concerned, believe me. <laughs> I love you guys. Um, and Katie, uh, well, one, okay, Brendan and his food that he keeps posting, so jealous about it. Oh, because oh the chef. <laughs> yes, all of his food. And then Katie with Sabrina and Henry, just incredible. What's it like being a grandfather to them? Oh, it's, it's the best, you know. You really appreciate being a grandfather in that you spend this time with these kids. You know, parents have to discipline them, and I can kind of be the nice guy, although I'm not. Believe me. Believe me, I do. I can scream as loud as anyone when the time calls for it. But I just love being with them. They're just exciting to be around. It's fun to watch kids learn yeah. when they're young, and everything impresses them. It's like, whoa, look at this. Everything's kind of amazing. You just love seeing it. And Sabrina's at the age now. Well, she's talking to me about history and astronomy and government and things like that at 10 years old. So it just impresses me so much. And, you know, and Henry's still wide out. Henry loves to tell you what he knows. And he's a small little guy. Loves to tell you what he knows. And you just sit and listen to them and interact with them. And it's just special. There's nothing like it. I love it. I love all of your guys' posts. It really, sometimes I get teary-eyed because I'm like, it's just so pure and awesome to see. And I love it. Um, Listen, I live my life through other people's Instagram accounts, especially <laughs> now that we're all locked in the house. And listen, I love seeing you on the sidelines. And I was so impressed when all of a sudden you were popping up pictures of yourself doing play-by-play on the volleyball matches. Like, way to go. Branching out. That's the way to do it. Get down down. I, I tell people, and because leaving LA was not an easy choice. I had been there 13 years, and I really, you've always known, you and, and Jacob, I've always known Goal, and I was not going to leave LA without your blessing. So when I was going through it and deciding, I was like, my number one call has to be to Jack. If you, if you support this and you think I've done enough to build, then I, will, I'll, I can go. But if not, I'm staying. So your call that day, and I remember driving down the 405, leaving Chris Rose's house with MLB Network, and just I, as clear as day can remember that call, like, Jack, Jack, do you think I've done enough? And your opinion, but also your advice has always meant so much to me. And so I just thank you for that. And for all of your support, always, it, it really is, it means the world. Thank you. You know, once, I believe that once you hit a, a position of responsibility yourself, once you've worked your way up to places, it's your job to help the next generation come along and help get their careers moving up. Everybody, everybody has their turn. That's what I always say and I always feel. Everybody has their turn. Like, you know, when I decided to retire, I could have stayed, but frankly, it was someone else's turn. Yeah. That's just the way it's supposed to be in life, I think. People get on and they hog things and stay with stuff. And I get that, too. People want everything for themselves. I'm sorry, my phone. No, you're good. It's the beauty of podcasts. <laughs> okay. But that's what I sincerely believe. And, you know, we're all here to help each other out. Mm-hmm. And so if you can help somebody through advice or a, a phone call for them or a letter writ- written about them or something, and you're sincere that you want to do it for them, why not do it? Just take the, take the time and get it done and support people. It's all about supporting people. And speaking of support, I do want to touch on Wendy because I do believe that um, a significant other, a supportive significant other is so 
important. So what is the secret? How long have you been married first? And then uh, this is a double barrel question that my broadcasting coach would not be happy with, but how long have you been married? And then what's the secret? There's an old joke. I've been happily married 40 years and 40 out of 46 ain't bad. No, we're married, <laughs> <laughs> we're married 46 years. I wouldn't trade a minute of it. And as far as what's the secret to a happy marriage, I, I, I don't know. I think we just go day to day. You don't, don't get too caught up in who you are. Don't get too caught up in what do I want? What's, what's for me? You know, me, me, me. Don't get so caught up in that. Always realize it's a partnership and it's the two of you together. And like I say, you just take it day by day. You don't get, don't get too crazy with, I guess, I shouldn't say ambitions because we're all ambitious. I don't know the right word, but don't get too crazy. I know the right word. It's the three deadly letters, E, G, and O. Don't get too crazy with your own ego. Yes. There's someone else. You know what I mean? That someone else is your partner. And with that someone else, you have children. And they become your all and your family. And there's nothing, you know, you have, that's what's important. That's what keeps everything together. Just stay level. And that's Wendy's greatest skill. Wendy just keeps everything on an even keel. You know, you know, I have my ups. I'm like a roller coaster. And Wendy's nice and even all the time. And Wendy's so smart and gives such great advice. And, you know, when she speaks, you, you have to listen to what she has to say because she's right. Yeah. She, she is fabulous. I absolutely love her. I still have um, the Christmas eye lavender thing that she got me that, that one year. And it's, it's just so special to me because it's from you guys. So I, I just love, um, I love you. you guys. Uh, Wendy's an incredible, incredible woman. She really is. She's humble. She's smart. She's got personality. She's just got everything going. She's marvelous person i'm blessed you guys complement each other so well and that's something i've always like i look at gabe and i and then i look at you guys i'm like you just compliment and just support each other and I, i'm sure with your career that was tough because working in sports demands a lot of our time and our attention and hours and so and she just handled it it seems from the outside just with so much grace and she did and she did i mean in our younger days, you know, we had two little kids and I was traveling a lot in those days, you know, most weekends. And I, you know, a couple of times I was off, I was in Rome for six weeks one summer doing a world championship track and field. I was in, um, we were at the Burbank. I was in New York for six weeks covering the 92 Olympics. I went back and covered New York, but the guys went to Barcelona and, you know, so I'd be away a lot and I would travel, you know, of course, to different events. And every now and again, though, you get to take the family with you. Like mm -hmm. I brought them down to the Orange Bowl parade one year and the Orange Bowl another year. And when I did golf from Florida, we went there. I did the tennis down in San Diego. We all packed up and went down there. Things like that. Uh, golf in Hawaii, the whole family went. So you get those little perks out of it every now and again to try to soften the blow that you're not around a lot. And Wendy just managed the house magnificently the whole time. Like I said, she keeps everything on an even keel. And with the kids, and I was lucky with my kids. You know, I've been blessed with my with my kids too. I mean, now adults. Katie's turning forty next week, and Brennan's forty four. But that they were never they were never trouble. They got on the program right from the start. I think they understood, mm -hmm. and that's a compliment to Wendy more than anything. Wendy kept everything flowing like it should. Do your homework, eat your dinner, clean your room, pick up your toys, get it going. And as you got older, don't go out, don't be out too late. Keep you know, just keep things normal. And that's what she's the, she's best at. Another thing. I know is um, important all around and important to me and important to our nation, but especially to you. And I love this passion about you, your passion for the veterans and for military. And I want to touch on that. And, and you brought that all to Fox as well. So where does that passion, where, where does that all come from? I think it came from, well, first my upbringing, you know, we were the first generation after world war two. So in my neighborhood, it was all young people, buying these houses and these new developments so there was like you know 100 kids my age running around the streets our parents were all the same age our fathers were all just veterans right out of world war ii so there was always parties around and singing in those days people would sing songs they'd be singing all the old patriotic songs and they were you know real flag waving so we were raised in that sort of environment to love your country my father loved, you know, loved our you know loved the united states and we were raised in that environment to be loyal be faithful be loyal Love your country. So I didn't get the opportunity to serve. And when I joined the Marine Corps, you know, I had, I had a physical thing and it just didn't get to get to serve. So I always wanted to do, to do something and, you know, do something to help people. And then when I got the opportunity with Fox that I could actually make a difference, 
you know, we had the chance. It was, it was September 11th that really did it. The next week, the hospital ship, I think the Comfort, was up in New York City. And um, I spoke to David, and we arranged to do a live shot from the Comfort. And it was Boomer Esiason, actually, who did it for us. I guess, I don't know if he, he was part-time with us or not, but he was the talent on that shot. And uh, yeah, I just coordinated it from L.A., and we did a live shot for Nancy. Wow, here's the thing. I went to David Hill. Once again, it's David. I said, David, you know, what, what can we do for the military? And David always was very patient and gave a lot of guidance and stuff. And this was his approach. He goes, I don't know, Jack, just go do it. Like, okay. <laughs> Thanks for your advice, boss. Thanks for your kind words. You know, just do it. Just go get it done. So he basically gave me a green light to do things. And we started, um, I've discovered that they didn't get shout outs from the troops. We hadn't seen much of those sort of things. So I started doing that a little bit on holidays and World Series and Super Bowls that shout out from the troops. And then it grew into one year we did, um, we had this thing for two Super Bowls called the Shots Around the World. The first year we did it from different places around the world and I coordinated that. And then the second one, I said, why don't we do this with a military shots around the world from different bases, different places. So we did it, you know, from a couple of places in the country here and a shot from uh, Rheinstein Air Force Base in Germany. But the biggie was, I found this uh, uplink company down in Cyprus. I found it through Fox News. And this guy was willing to go into Afghanistan for me. So I sent him down to Kandahar, driving the course. And it wasn't as sophisticated as now. We didn't have this, you know, C-band or even a K-band uplink trunk bouncing through the desert down there to Kandahar. He gets to this forward operating base down there. And that's where we set up this shot from. And while we're doing it, one of the guys proposes to his girlfriend during the <laughs> shot. Now, I've got a producer at Super Bowl yelling, wrap him up. What's going on here? This is all live. Would you wrap this guy up? He's proposing. We can't wrap this guy <laughs> up. You know? So that was a, a, a fun moment. But by doing all that, then, I also got involved. I was out in uh, Vegas at the NAB convention, and there was a woman speaking out there just doing something about hiring veterans. So I went to this you know, conference of it, and this woman, her name was Erin Thede, and she worked for the Army Reserve Private Public Partnership Division. And what that was, they looked for jobs for reserve soldiers and veterans and things like that. Well, she and I clicked. I just hit her up with her, and then we started working together. And we got Fox, you know, we hired some veterans at Fox, and we found placement for veterans in other places and all. And I got speaking with reserve soldiers. And then through that, I met the chief of the Army Reserve at the time, General Jeffrey Talley, who's a wonderful, what a wonderful man he is. And he asked me if I would be interested in applying for this job they had as a volunteer position as an Army Reserve ambassador. I didn't even know what it was. I looked it up and I said, this is right up my alley where you, I represent the office of the chief of the Army Reserve in Los Angeles. And I go, I'll speak at recruiting functions. I'll speak to businesses. I had a meeting with the congressman's office two weeks ago to speak about the good news of the Army, the good news of the Reserve, things like that. And I get to help veterans. That's branched out now to this other group that's the Department of Defense group, the Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve. That's the ESGR. Well, now I'm the vice, vice chair, I guess, for the Los Angeles reason. And what the ESGR does is they were formed back in 1972 during the Vietnam War when people would go, reserve soldiers would go off and National Guardsmen would go off to fight. And they come back and they, they wouldn't have their jobs. There was trouble with employers. People didn't understand. And there's laws about this that, you know, service people are entitled to a comparable job. They're entitled to their benefits, things like that. So we educate corporations on that. But also the thing we do to, Fun to do is we give out awards to uh, different corporations, different things called the Patriot Award, things like that, for supporting their reserve soldiers and their National Guardsmen. And now you go back this year, between the Reserve and the National Guard, there's been a lot of deployments right here between COVID-19 yeah. and the wildfires in the West. All those things take people away from their jobs. And so the good employers keep supporting them throughout that and make sure that they cover and have their jobs back. So right now we're in the midst of catching up on a backlog of all those awards for people. That's keeping me really busy to be to be honest with you, because there was, you know, over a hundred of them backlog that we're trying to distribute to people. And what I did, you know, we're sitting last year when COVID nineteen came and we were not allowed to travel and businesses closed, not allowed to go there. I had the idea, well, why don't we start doing these things virtually? So we've done a whole procedural and that's what we're doing now is trying to do Zoom meetings to hand out these Patriot Awards to people. I have one coming up in a couple of weeks where the soldiers deployed and his boss is the LA Unified School District, and they're gonna get them all together on Zoom and present this person with the award and then ship the plaque off to him. So things like that. So I got into that and it's grown now. And guess what? During retirement, this has been what keeps me busy, is helping supporting <laughs> the troops like we do. 
I was, something I, wonderful. I'm happy to do it. I'm honored to do it. I love it. it it's where, um, I, on those days, I always think of you and then it, it hits like the, uh, I don't know how to really put it into words, but it got it just the, cause you're so passionate about it and it, you make me understand it more. And so I think that it, cause no one in my family was in the military or anything like that. And so it's, it's something that I always think of. And I was going to ask you what you've been doing during retired life. Um, but you, you answered that a little bit. Um, I do have to touch on your love of Notre Dame because it is something always there's little things that just will trigger. And like one of them is the veterans is I'm like, Oh, Jack. And then Notre Dame, I think you, I don't think USC, I think Jack. <laughs> so where does your love for Notre Dame come from? Go Irish. I'll <laughs> tell you that comes from the same place as the military where I come from breezy point. They call it the Irish Riviera. It's just a bunch of Irish Catholics down there. Everybody roots for Notre Dame. Everybody drinks beer. And just Notre Dame is ingrained in you from the time you're a kid. You love Notre Dame. And in, back in New York, you have to remember, we didn't have any real college football. Yeah. There's Fordham, there's Columbia, there's St. John's. There's nothing really to speak of for, for college football. So you, you pick your teams. So, you, know, you gravitate towards Notre Dame. And that's what I did. Now, when I started working, my first event as a unit manager, was the Bengal Bouts. It's Notre Dame's intramural boxing competition. We taped out for Sports World, so I got to go to Notre Dame. And I said, whoa, man, I love this place. It was just special. Then I was back there a couple of times for basketball games, you know, college basketball. I never did, I've never been to a football game at Notre Dame, tell you the truth, um, and did that. And then, I don't know, you know, just if Fox had really intensifies, because Fox, as you know, is USC heaven. Yeah. So there's yeah. only a couple of us, Danny Bell and myself, were Notre Dame fans. So it just became fun banter back and forth in the office for years and everything. But now it's grown. To, I went a couple of years ago. I had the opportunity to go with the sports video group to some meetings there. They were showing off improvements to the stadium. So I went and spent a couple of days at Notre Dame. And that's when we got on the field and I got to touch the play like a champion sign and on and on. Mm -hmm. But while I was working at Fox, a fellow showed up in my office, a wonderful guy named Shannon Forey. And he was the West Coast Regional Director for Notre Dame. And they look for internships for students and jobs and things like that. And he came knocking on my door one day and we got to be great friends. So I've always tried to help the Notre Dame students get in too, to the point of now I'm involved with the Notre Dame Alumni Association. I never went there. I went to call a friend of Notre Dame. I get all their emails and notifications. I'm in a Notre Dame Club of LA. I was just on a few weeks ago. They did uh, students are all home. So they did, you know, career counseling type stuff. I was in on that on a Zoom. I, I've gone to, you know, functions for Notre Dame, speaking to students and helping them. But the biggie was last year, when you and I were invited to go to Notre Dame, I got to go speak at one of the broadcasting classes. Mm. So we took the trip out, spent two nights, stayed right on campus, saw the whole thing, spoke to the class, made more good contacts. And, you know, so that's where it all comes from, Notre Dame. I'm a late bloomer. You know what I mean? As a kid, I wasn't much. And now that I'm older, all the good things that happened to people started coming my way. That... I love that you go and talk to these classes. I mean, you, as you're talking, I'm just like, there's probably so much. I mean, this could probably go four or five hours and we could pick your brain, but what is, what's your message to people that want to work in broadcasting, whether it's in front of the camera or behind of it, behind it, what's your message to them? Well, basically a real nuts and bolts of it. Then I'll get into philosophy. I tell people, if you want to work behind the scenes, if you want to be a producer, a director, a uh, you know, research, sales, whatever, get yourself to New York or Los Angeles and try to get yourself in with one of the networks. Mm -hmm. That's where it would be. As far as, you know, traditional broadcasting, if you want to be on air, get your resume out there, get your tape out there and take any job that comes along. Mm -hmm. If you're going to South Dakota to build your reel, go to South Dakota and build your reel. If you're going to get to go to Florida and build your reel, go to Florida and build your reel. You've got to get, you've got to get stuff on a reel. You've got to get your name out there. You have to get noticed. So that's, that's how I, that's my, you know, my feelings on that. As far as philosophically with the young people, what I tell people is just try to treat people with respect. Mm -hmm. Always give your best when you go to work. If you commit to do something, go do it. Mm -hmm. Don't commit to do a project and then not finish that project. Get it done. People are dependent on you. And people dependent on you have to come through for them. You can't just, you know, Talk about what you want to do. And I said, you have to show results. What do they say? Great results are better than great words. Is that it? I've never heard it, but that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Benjamin Franklin. Somebody said that. And as the great Lou Holt says, 
if the, if the, this is something to watch out for, a trap. After all is said and done, more is said than done. Yes. So, you know, B1 gets things done. Yes, 100%. There's times I often think, I'm like, I wonder if the LA people are like, oh, Sandy will give up sometime soon. And I'm like, nope, I'm a boxer. I'm going to keep punching my way through. Oh, I don't see Sandy giving up ever. I, I expect to see Sandy on a sideline in a Super Bowl one day. That is it. That is goals. I did have a mental breakdown, I think, about maybe a year and a half ago or two years, and I emailed Jacob, and he could tell from my email that I was not okay. And he's like, let's get on a call. And we got on a call, and I try to fight back tears because I don't ever want to cry on the phone with right. – I, I just don't think that looks good. It's, it's an insecurity in me. And, um, and he's just so helpful, and he, he was able to talk me off the ledge. But it's not easy. This is not easy. It's, I've sacrificed my whole life for this career, and I'm not stopping anytime soon. But I, I think there's people in L.A. Or, or somewhere in my life that were like, oh, she'll stop soon. <laughs> but nope, I'm no, I'm not. <laughs> well, you know, two things about that. Jacob Ullman is a wonderful guy. I love Jacob Ullman. He yeah. was one of the best things at Fox, and we worked together so closely for years. He's just, you know, to this day, one of the best friends I have. And number two, no, you've, you've got grit and you've got determination and you've got talent. You know, you're not just doing this. You have the talent to do this too. And your career is coming along in steps. And one thing you've done that I admire so much is every step of your career, you grabbed the bull by the horns and made it happen. Like this podcast, like, like the great thing you did a couple of years ago, Stances with Sandy. Yeah creative thinking of things coming up with your own ideas not just waiting for somebody else to point you in the direction telling you what to do that's important and that's what you do and that's that's what's so successful and if you never make 20 million dollars doing this you still be proud of yourself for what you have done and if you do make 20 million dollars doing this well maybe you can give me a little loan <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I need you on my shoulder every day. Thank you, Jeff. I'm there. I'm there. I'm with you all the way. You know that. I've always been on your team. Well, I there's something that you I mean, you have a lot of the goals that you've hit a lot of the goals that I want, the Emmy winning Emmys and everything across the board and the latest, the broadcast hall of fame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what when you got that call, when you found out, what was that moment like? When I was retiring, you know, I had never thought, I used to go to the dinner. I never thought I'd be in the broadcast and Hall of Fame at all. And then retiring, somebody said, oh, Jack will be a shooter. Jack will be, I don't know, I don't see that. And then two years after I retired, I get a phone call from Ken Agard, who runs it. And he goes, hey, I got to tell you something, buddy. I said, what's that? He goes, you're in. I said, I mean, what? You're in the Hall of Fame. Like we were in New York at the time one, you know, I'm in the, in the uh, Hotel Benjamin. And the phone rang in the morning, we were traveling home that day. That I was elected into the broadcast and Hall of Fame. And, for me, I, you know, I'm getting choked up now thinking about that. And that going back to this guy who went and started in the mailroom, and now it came to that, it's just yeah. the greatest honor I could ever ask for to have something like that. That my peers, the guys I work with, the people I work with, the men and women, or the friends I made over the years, thought enough of me to put me into that. You know, as far as operations people go, I'm only one of like only 11 that are there. They pick one category each year. So, you know, I was like the 10th one in, which is pretty important to me. It really was. It shows that it works. You don't have to be a jerk to people to make things work out. You can treat people with respect. You can help people. You can be nice to people. And things can still work out in the end. Yeah, Jack, you, I mean, the big boss at Fox Sports when I was there, and you always treated everyone equal. And that is, and that's what it's about. And I don't think you could ever be a jerk. I know you said you could raise your voice if you had to. And there was only one other time that I've seen you. There was a stressful time at NFL Fox that one Sunday. But in that moment, you needed to be authoritative. And that's, that's who you are. But you could never be a jerk, even if you wanted to. I'm sure I could. <laughs> Ask Wendy. <laughs> no, no. Um, well, I have kept you long enough. I, I mean, I could talk to you all day long. I just adore you. And I am so grateful to you because that year got me, um, on, and honestly, I was able to learn and there were times, yes, I was doing a job and I was there to do that job, but I also was able, I remember watching Molly McGrath practice. She was on air practicing in front of the camera. And at that point I was a little insecure as an on-air reporter. I was like, do I practice? Should I practice? How does that work? So being able to see her, I now take that when I'm sidelines this weekend on 
on Fox Sports Arizona, I'll be able to, I sit there and I practice in front of the camera, even though I'm not, my hit's not on. And so I've been able to, even in that moment, I wasn't on air. I wasn't anything. It was a step towards my career. I'm able to use that stuff. And I, I just thank you for that opportunity. I remember what I wore to the interview with you. I remember everything. <laughs> so <laughs> I just thank you so much. And thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being my friend. Believe me, you know, we love you. You got that. You know that. And I follow you every step of your career, every step of your life. I follow, follow along with you. And I'm like I said, I'm on your team all the way. My whole family. Is-